Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, meditation of each heart here in this sanctuary or listening in the homes, may the meditation of their heart be acceptable in thy sight. May your spirit descend and bear the fruit that your word would expect. Such things we ask in his name. Amen. It is week number four for those involved in Red Sea Rules. And if you're not involved, welcome. Welcome. Six, seven different states in Canada and 380 people involved. I've said it before, I would suppose that you are involved with Red Sea Rules because of a storm that happened in your past or one that is going on right now, or one that you expect in the future. Or maybe God just wants you involved in the study at this time for the sake of the knowledge he has pertaining to what your life story shall be. Uh, Principle number one, four weeks ago, God has you where he wants you to be. God has you where he wants you to be. His power greater than Satan's power. If he has you in the realm of blessing, that's exactly your answer to your prayer for his daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. Figuring that you're not going to get too arrogant or proud, him allowing his blessing in your life. If it is a time of trial, God is there. He allows Satan to do what Satan has done, but he looks at him like a mountain looks at a sand hill. And when Satan is true, he looks and says, have you done your worst? And then God becomes involved. And if he creates this universe out of nothing, why can he not take some trial or storm in your life and mine and turn it into something wondrous? Second principle, be more concerned about God's glory than your relief. And if you're more concerned about God's glory than your relief, then you will have his relief. Why? Because you're focused on God, not on your circumstance. You have lifted your eyes higher. You've lifted them vertically, not horizontally. And you're connected with God. You're saying, God, how can you be glorified in this? Thirdly, Pastor Shower last week acknowledged the existence of Satan. 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. That is where the evil has come from. Acknowledge the existence of Satan, but fix your eyes on him, source of power and strength. I am blessed to do principle number four with you. And that principle is one word. And that one word is prayer. That one word is prayer. As I looked at Joseph four weeks ago to point out the first principle So I want to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to look at this principle of prayer. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Sit here while I, he told them specifically what he was going to do. Sit here while I go pray. Then he had a second thought and he turned back and he saw Peter, James and John. He said, come with me. And when they came with him and they entered further into the garden, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He actually turned to those three disciples and he did something he had never done in his life. He bared his soul to them. He said to Peter, James, and John, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
And he looked at them, and they looked at each other, and they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. They've never seen this out of Jesus before. Your parents, if something was going on in their life, at least with my parents, I never knew it. They kept those things to themselves. That's what they did in those old days. They just kept everything to themselves. They, they didn't want to trouble the hearts of their children with the anxieties going on in their life. They had known Jesus for three years. For two years, 11 months, and 29 days, okay? And he had never done this to them before. But he turns to them and he says, My dear friends, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and they are speechless. And the reason they're speechless, he never done it before to them. And the reason they're speechless, they're shrugging their shoulders saying, We don't know what to do for you, Jesus. And then after a pause, he says to them, Stay here. After they didn't respond at all, he said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further away from the disciples, he fell to the ground. The narrative doesn't end there. God continues. He fell to the ground. What did he do? Did he pound the ground? Why are you doing this to me, God? No. Did he fall to the ground and faint? No. The Bible says when he fell to the ground, he began to pray that if possible, this Red Sea that he was facing might be taken away by God, might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. It is possible for you to take this cross away from me and let salvation come by some other way. Yet not what I ask in this prayer, but what you think is best. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? And then he said to the three, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. Listen carefully what he says. He doesn't say pray for me. I'm sweating drops of blood. He didn't say pray for me. He says pray for yourself that when the storm hits, you will not fall away from the faith. Once more he went away, he prayed the same thing. When he came back, they were sleeping. A third time he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, they were sleeping. He said, are you sleeping? Have you not prayed? The hour has come. It is time for the storm to begin They had never seen him like this before. He had told them in full composure that he was going to die on the cross. Simon Peter said, I need to talk with you privately, Jesus. Got eyeball to eyeball with him and said, knock it off, Jesus. Stop talking about the cross. You're bothering us. You're making us feel nervous. Stop talking about the cross. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Jesus goes one momentous step further because the same individual who had said to him, stop talking about the cross, you're making us nervous. Jesus is now saying to him, I'm telling you what's going on inside of me. I am sorrowful unto death. He was asking them for help. 
He was asking them to say something. He was asking them, won't you tell me that you'll pray for me? Won't you put your arms around me? Won't you do something for me? And when they do nothing, then he goes off by himself into the garden. And three times in three verses, it tells us exactly what he did. He prayed. Why did he pray? Number one, for the source, the power and strength that it would bring him. Number two, he wanted the disciples to see what he was doing. He had already told them, John sixteen thirty three a day earlier, he had already told them, in this world there will always be storms, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And now he's going to show them what to do when the storms come. And this is why Robert Morgan has this in the Red Sea Rules book, because it's the most powerful weapon you have when storms come. He showed them how to pray. He just didn't do it once, he did it a second time. He didn't do it a second time, he did it a third time. He showed them, when the storm comes in my life, I've asked you guys for help. You are powerless to help me. I am going to the one who can help. And when the storm comes and I die on that cross and you're in the upper room and you're scared to death and then you go back to fishing wanting no more to do with the ministry, I want you to know the one avenue you have to approach God. And that one avenue is prayer. There are four or five times in Jesus' life where it said he went off by himself to pray. doesn't say he went off by himself to get away from the crowd. doesn't say he went off by himself to get away from the disciples. didn't say he went off by himself to meditate. It says specifically that he went off by himself to pray. And if you look carefully at it, whenever he prayed, something happened. There are 35 miracles recorded in the Bible, John 20, 30, and 31. 35 miracles recorded, hundreds not recorded, These are recorded that you might see the evidence of the power of God in the one named Jesus. Whenever he went off to pray and came back down, here's what happens. The blind man came to him and said to him, a storm's going on in my life. But the storm didn't go on for one moment longer because Jesus healed him. Where did the power come from? Prayer. The man crippled from birth 38 years. He says, I haven't ever been able to walk. He walked one minute later when Jesus said, get up and walk. Where did the power to heal him come from? Came from Jesus' prayer. When there are 10,000 needing to be fed, the Bible says directly that Jesus stopped in the midst of 10,000 people. All the noise going on around him, he stopped and he lifted up his hands and he prayed to God. And what happened after the prayer? The storm, uh, the 10,000 are fed. There was never a miracle he did that was not precipitated by his prayers to his heavenly Father. It wasn't a storm he was going through. It was a storm someone else was going through. And God says when the storms came in other people's lives, Jesus lifted up his hands and he prayed. He calmed every situation whether it's relatives running out of wine at wedding, whether it's storms on the Sea of Galilee, whether it was a storm in someone's private life, he was always the one who whispered to the storms and they came to an end. What was his source of magic power? It was prayer to 
God. Widow of Nain, a son is dead, not for a moment longer. Jesus is there. Jairus' daughter, 12 years of age, she's dead, not for a moment longer. Jesus is there. The woman's been bleeding for 12 years, not for a moment longer. She touched the hem of his robe and she's healed. Episode after episode after episode. One person involved, Jesus, connected with God in this thing available to me and to you. And that one thing is prayer. For 37 years, I taught eighth grade confirmation. And when it came time to the lesson on why Jesus chose the disciples, I would ask the eighth graders, why did he choose disciples? And they would all answer and they would say, he needed to train someone to carry on his work when he was gone. And I would say to them, that's half correct. What's the other half of it? Why did he choose the disciples? And invariably, there would be one or two students every year who said he needed friends. And then eighth graders being eighth graders, they would pounce on that individual and say, he didn't need friends, he had God. And I would say, no, he needed friends. And that is why he chose the twelve disciples. He needed human companionship and human kindness and human decency and human caring and human understanding. He says to the three, Peter, James, and John, I need you to come with me. And I believe with all my heart when he said to them, my soul is sorrowful unto death. He was totally expecting Peter who never kept his mouth quiet, he was totally expecting Peter to say something uplifting to him, but Peter said not a word. I was in Wichita, Kansas for nine years. When we had a funeral down in Wichita, Kansas, the funeral was done, there was no fellowship afterwards, everyone just went home. There were no wakes. When someone died, you drove by their house, Gave your condolences. No wakes, no fellowship. When I came up here, back in those days, there were two-day wakes. And back in those days, currently still happening, thank goodness, there would be time of fellowship afterwards. And I remember saying, why in the world would people be sitting in here grieving the loss of a loved one and then go into the Trinity room and be surrounded by people who are laughing and joking around? It only took me a brief time to understand why that fellowship occurred, and why wakes occur. Because we need people in our lives. Whenever I do a funeral in this sanctuary, whenever I do a funeral at a funeral home, I look at the family first, and then I look at who's there for this specific reason. Who cares enough about this family who's grieving to actually come to this wake and to come to this funeral in order to support that family? You know what you are? You are angels sent from God to touch other people's lives. Not just to celebrate them with them when something good happens and you get together and you just have a marvelous time increasing their joy because they're sharing it with you. But I think the reason God allows people to be in my life and for people to be in your life is when times of trial come, when the Red Sea comes, 
He wants people specifically sent by Him to be around you. They are doing for you what the disciples did not do for Jesus. They are praying for you. They are doing for you what the disciples did not do for Jesus. They are wrapping their arms around you. But here's my question. When you ask them for help, when you ask them to calm the storm, are they able to do that? Their power is limited. Are they able to do that? The answer is no. You go to him. Twice in Jonathan's life, he came to me and said, Dad, I need some help. I'll embarrass him because he's sitting there running the online uh, two or three times in Joshua's life. He came to me and said, Dad, I need your help. When they came and said, I need your help, there were two things going on inside of me. Number one, there was great honor that they would actually come to me and want to sit down and talk with me. Greatly honored. It happened so infrequently. And the other thing that happened was a great nervousness, a great fear. I was fearful of what was going to come out of their mouth that they needed help with. My love for them was not limited, but my power was and my wisdom was. If you're a mom or dad, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those rare moments when they would come and say, I need your help. When you go to God in prayer, you honor him. Hebrews 11.6 says the greatest honor God ever receives is when you believe he's real. And when you come to him facing some storm or just come to him in any way and you pray to him, he is honored. And whereas an earthly mother or father might tremble when that question comes, I need your help. God does not tremble. There are no limits to his power creating this universe. There are no limits to his love, sending his son to die on that cross. And there are no limits to his wisdom. If I ask you what the most powerful weapon a Christian has, you would say faith. I would say you're partly right. Most powerful weapon you have is faith, but the byproduct of faith is prayer. If you tell me you have faith, and then I ask you how often do you pray, and you say, I never pray, then I would say to you, you have no faith. Faith and prayer are connected like a hand in a glove. When Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration and a man comes to Jesus with a, a boy in his arms and he said, I ask your disciples to get rid of this demon and they weren't able to do it. Jesus said, give me the boy. And he has the boy in his arms and he prays to his father in heaven. The demon leaves. The disciples come to him and they say to him, how come we couldn't get rid of the demon? 
And he said, because you don't have enough faith, because you didn't come to God in prayer. He connected the two. Disciples, you say you have faith in God. You didn't have enough faith to come to God in prayer. This kind comes out only by faith and by prayer. Had a gentleman years ago, I mentioned him maybe a couple of years ago, 20 years ago, Steve, uh, had a gentleman, he lost his job. I said to Steve, uh, let me have a prayer with you. And he said, nah, he ain't going to pray for me. I said, Steve, let me have a prayer with you. He said, I only bother God about the big things. Someone got cancer, I'll bother to God about that, but I won't bother him about my job situation. You honor God when you come to Him in prayer. When Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you say to a mountain, move, and it'll move, nothing will be impossible to you. If you say to the mountain, move, how do you say to a mountain, move? You say it by your prayers. Heavenly Father, here's my addiction. Heavenly Father, i got cancer. Heavenly Father, I'm going to lose the house because of COVID virus. Heavenly Father, I dated him for six years. I don't know if I should go ahead and marry him or not. I'm getting strange vibrations here. Whatever Red Sea stands in front of you, he wants you to have a faith strong enough in your Heavenly Father to say to him, I need your help here. And the thing you use is prayer. If there weren't wars, you wouldn't need Army, Navy, Coast Guard, Marines. But there is war. If there wasn't evil, you wouldn't need police and firemen and judges and jails. But there is evil. If there wasn't disease, you wouldn't need doctors and nurses and paramedics and pharmaceuticals and hospitals. But there are diseases. If there wasn't sin, if there wasn't death, if there wasn't the power of the devil, if there weren't red seas that you and I face, we wouldn't need prayer. But there are. And he has provided the means. I close with one verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, Come to me when the storm begins. Don't wait for it to be in the middle or towards the end. Come to me when the storm begins. Give the storm to me. Walk away, and I will give you peace. How do you bring the storm to him? in this thing called prayer. Sometimes whispered, sometimes shouted, sometimes lengthy, sometimes one word, help. Sometimes in your bedroom, sometimes in your car, sometimes at work. Sometimes in the early morning, sometimes at 2 a.m., sometimes in the middle of the day. Father, I need your help in our Savior's name. Amen. Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, that cowboy is on the 
bucking Bronco. And that Bronco is twisting and turning and shaking and bellowing and snorting. He wants that cowboy off. When a storm is going on, we are being twisted and turned and shaken and bellowed and snorted at by that storm. We're like we're on a roller coaster. We're like we're inside of a washing machine being tumbled about. You're riding on top of that storm. That storm does not bother you at all except for the pain it's causing your children. You're riding on top of that storm. And the storm is under the influence of your power, your love, and your wisdom. I have faith in you, God. And Paul Strand's faith will be manifested by praying to you often. My faith will be manifested by believing that you have the power, love, and wisdom to take the storm and to change it into that which works for the benefit of the person and the benefit of your kingdom. Keep us close to you, Lord, in this thing called prayer. In our Savior's name, amen.